Good morning, Crossville First. Good to see y'all here. Everybody's sitting in the back today, I tell you. <laughs> Getting an extra dose of social distancing, right? Amen. What a wonderful day to be in the house of the Lord, though, right? Because it's a lot warmer in here than it is outside. And uh, so anyway, we came for one reason today, and that's to worship God. We're going to look at some announcements, and then we're going to go to worship. Amen. Our annual sweet night will be on Saturday, February the 13th. We will meet at the Grecian in Dyersburg at 4 p.m., then head to Java Cafe or Small Cakes for dessert afterwards. Each person will be responsible for their own food tickets. Please sign up at the welcome board by Sunday, February the 7th. We are so happy to celebrate Brit and Louise. This is the soon coming daughter of Derek and Natalie Johnson. We will give them a table shower. Please have your gifts to the church by February the 21st. The annual church business meeting will be on Sunday, February the 28th. We will enjoy lunch together here at the church, then meet for the business meeting. Please bring food items to share for lunch. We will be hosting revival services for churches in our area on February 22nd through the 24th at 6 p.m. each night. There will also be children's services available each evening. Do you have some junk you don't need? Start bringing those treasures into the church for our missions rummage sale. We will have a rummage sale on March 5th through the 6th here at the church to raise money to support missionaries. It's coming. This February, six nights, six cities. Hundreds of men from across Missouri worshiping one amazing God. It's Man Tour 21. Get your tickets now for the location nearest you. Go to somomen.com for tickets and information. Let's go.
Good morning. If you would just stay with us this morning. Lord, we just thank you for this chance to be in your house, God, and to worship with those that are home, God, those that are sick, Lord. We ask today that you would move through us, Jesus, that others would see you, Lord. In your name we pray. when we feel left out 
but he says different. When we're falling short, he doesn't say that. And so I just want us to say, to, to sing this chorus again. And I just want you to just close your eyes and believe it. Let's go with you say. You say I'm loved when I can't feel a thing. You say I'm strong when I think I'm weak. And you say I'm held when I am falling short. And when I don't belong, oh, you say I am yours. You say I am held. Oh 
Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Shout unto God with a voice of praise. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. We lift your name up. Because the enemy's been defeated. Death couldn't hold you down. We're going to lift our voice in victory. We're going to make your praises loud. The enemy's been defeated. Death couldn't hold you down. We're going to lift our voice in victory. We're going to make your praises loud. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Shout unto God with a voice of praise. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. We lift your name up. Cause the enemy's been defeated. Death couldn't hold you down. We're gonna lift our voice in victory. We're gonna make your praises loud. The enemy's been defeated. Death couldn't hold you down. We're gonna lift our voice in victory. We're gonna make your praises
morning. A few things that we, uh, if you have a child that is the ages of 4 to 12, you can meet uh, Mr. Bobby and Miss Pat in the back and they will uh, take you back to Children's Church. If you have a child that's newborn or uh, up to the age of 4, you can go to the nursery or you can stay in here with us as well. This morning as we uh, receive tithe and offering, um, we do have our the white box that's located out there on the table. Uh, for those that would like to give here in person, fill out an envelope, and then we will, um, and then we'll collect that. And then also, if you have an, uh, if you want to do it online, uh, we do have CorellersvilleFirst.com/give, and you can give that way. You can set it up however you would like. Uh, Brother Adam, would you pray over the offering? Amen. Amen. Tim, if you could play that video. Chapter 21. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter, and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a-fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth, and entered into a ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. 
They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, an hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then cometh, and taketh bread, and giveth them, and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved, because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things, thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Then went this saying abroad among the brethren, that that disciple should not die. Yet Jesus said not unto him, He shall not die, but if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? This is the disciple which testifieth of these things, and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that the seed of your word would find fertile soil upon our hearts, Lord that we would not only hear the word, but we would apply it. We, we would be doers of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. A couple of announcements real quick that I wanted to make known to you is the sign-up sheet for the, the sweet night is out there on the board. You can go out there and sign up. And then also um, a prayer list uh, from this past Wednesday night is on the, uh, on the prayer wall as well. So if you want to take those home and pray for those that are on that list um, as well. But as we... 
This is actually the conclusion of the Gospel of John. Last week and throughout the Gospel of John, the Apostle John made it his purpose and point for those who would read his account of Jesus and that they would believe, that they would be saved from God's wrath and hell. That's his whole point, his whole purpose, is that when we share Jesus with others, that, is, that should be our purpose, is that we are wanting to save them from God's wrath and hell and for them to come into a relationship with God. William Tyndale made this comment, said, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. Now, if you don't know who William Tyndale was, he was a, uh, he was a scholar. He helped translate the Bible as well. But these were his last words. This morning, we're going to talk about the last words that we're going to see here. The last words that William Tyndale said was because uh, he, he is also the one, uh, sorry, he is also the one who, who took the work of others before him who had compiled and edited and, and published the original Greek manuscripts. And he translated about 90% of the New Testament uh, from Greek into English. William Tyndale was burned at the stake by the Catholic Church for translating the Bible into the common man's language, which is English. He's, the uh, Catholic Church at that time said, you know what? Um, we don't like that. We want it to be in Latin. Well, the Bible was never written in Latin, for one thing. But they said, we don't want it. You know, we want to basically be only, uh, only be able to where the priests and those high up in the Catholic Church are able to understand it. We don't want the common people to understand it. That's why um, the Reformation happened. That's why a lot of these you know, different movements, you know, kind of like rebellions started happening because people were tired of what the Catholic Church was saying was in the Bible and wasn't in the Bible. And so him, along with uh, several others after him, would uh, you know, uh, be produced is the Geneva Bible. And then you have the King James Bible, which is actually was never known as the King James Bible until the turn of the century, this, uh, the 19th, or sorry, the 20th century. It was actually just known as the Authorized Bible. And the reason why they did it, they wanted uh, uh, the King, uh, King James Bible, as far as how they had it, was is that they wanted to, you know, kind of uh, clean up a, a few things, but also they, uh, the king wanted to take out the notes, the little study notes that were in there. He wanted a Bible that way people would just read it and figure it out for themselves and not have somebody else's influence, you know, upon them. But as, as he prayed this prayer, he said, Lord, open the, uh, open the king of England's eyes. These were his last words. 75 years later, the Lord would answer that prayer by opening the eyes of the Lord, or, sorry, of the king. And like I said, that, that is King James I. And through King James I's leadership, the authorized version of the Bible, the King James Bible, was completely translated and published for everyone, including the, uh, the common people. Because after this, they actually had a Bible, and people, and it was, it still is, and at that time, it, 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 it started to outsell all the other ones. They actually had a Bible in their own language. Because of, of people like William Tyndale and all the ones leading up to it that said, you know what, everybody should be able to read God's word, that's how you have your Bible. If it wasn't for them willing to say, I want to die for God's word, we wouldn't have the Bible that we have today. If it wasn't for them, we would still be under uh, the Catholic rule and them telling us, you know, uh, that indulgences are true and that purgatory is true and that all these and praying to saints is true and all, but it's not in the Bible. It's not in there, and so that's what ended up happening. And the and you know, for those that still believe that the Catholic Church is now okay um, and it's okay to quote the, you know, they still have the same agenda that they always did. 
they don't like the fact that people broke away from the Catholic Church. They don't like that there's a, 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 a Bible that is not, you know, them holding on to it and telling you what, you know, you need to believe. So when we, uh, it, it helps me put in perspective when I read God's word that I shouldn't take it for granted because of what people went through for me to have one. So I could have one. That's a little side note, but also the thing is, is like I said, I want to talk to you about last words. His were, Lord, open the, uh, the king of England's eyes. This week, like I said, we're going to look at the final chapter in John's gospel, and we're going to read the last words between Jesus and Peter before Jesus ascends back up into heaven. And so what we're going to see in, in John chapter 21 is that this is going to lead up to um, all the different things, all, the last words, everything leading up to those last words. And so in verses uh, 1 and 14, we see a repeat appearance. In verse 1, it says, After these things, Jesus showed, uh, showed himself again to uh, the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this uh, wise showed he himself. This is the seventh appearance recorded after his resurrection. How many of you know that when you're dead, you're supposed to be dead, you're not supposed to see a person alive? The seventh time that, you know, that that it is shown in Scripture that he appears to his disciples, to, the, I mean, you know, to those around him. And in verse 14, it says that it says, this is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. So the disciples saw him three times. Four other times he showed himself to other people. Namely, you know, one of the first ones was, you know, Mary Magdalene, when she, you know, came in there thought was a gardener and, um, it wasn't, she was talking to Jesus. And then also Thomas, when he came, uh, you know, said, I, you know, I'm not going to believe unless I can put my finger in his hands and all that. So there's those different, you know, times. So there's a repeat appearance that we see in those verses. Then there's a return to uh, ambivalence. Basically, they're totally oblivious to what happened. You know, to, to they want to go back to, you know, to how life, how it was. Verse 3 says, Simon Peter, saith unto, uh, Simon Peter saith unto him, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also will go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. The thing is, is to notice, it's kind of like, it's funny how Jesus' ministry started with, all the, uh, you know, with most of the disciples fishing. They were fishermen by trade. Jesus raises from the dead, shows himself three times to the disciples, and they go back to what they were doing three years ago. And you just begin to wonder what is going on. It's like, even though that they had seen Jesus multiple times at the resurrection, they returned to their previous occupation, their old way of life. They went back to what they were used to, and the funny thing is, is that they didn't do that for three years. As far as like their own job, I'm sure that they went fishing during the three years because you need food. But they went back to their old job. They went back out there to try and catch, you know, cast their nets. And the funny thing is, is the same results happen. In the first one, remember, they were out there casting their nets. They couldn't catch anything. And Jesus, you know, this is before they knew that he was the son of God, before he was resurrected, before the first time they met him. And he says, cast it on, that, uh, you know, cast it on the other side. And they're like, we've been out here all day. We haven't caught anything. This one's a little bit different in the fact that they actually just went ahead and cast it in there. And then there's a revealing answer in verse 5. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, 
have you, uh, have you any meat? They answered, no. It's a revealing answer. The thing is, is that he's getting ready to show them who he actually is yet again. It's revealing to show not only their physical condition, but also the, uh, their spiritual condition. That Jesus is speaking to them yet again, and they're not recognizing who he is. As much as they were in awe of the Lord's resurrection, it wasn't enough. How many of you know that there are people out there that hear about Jesus raising from the dead, they celebrate Easter, they think it's a great thing to do, they'll even thank God on that day that he raised from the dead, but they don't live it. They're like, man, that's amazing. But they just go on living their own life. They, they, they uh, keep doing their own thing. And like I said, remember, this is the disciples' third time of having seen. It's not the fact that we, uh, that we talk to, to God. It's the fact that they actually seen him with their own eyes three times. Jesus appeared to them, and, but the disciples seemed to be content with going back to what they did before and living the way that they did before as if nothing ever happened. They had a man call him out, know him by name, tell him to go fishing. They had caught no fish. They threw it on the other side. They catch a whole ton of fish. Then go on to live three years with him, learning everything from him. He, he's brutally beaten, nailed to a cross, dead three days, raised to life on the third day. They see him physically alive after they saw him die. And they're like, Let's go back to what I was doing before. Doesn't that seem kind of strange to you that they were just like, I'm going to go back to my old life? After all the stuff that they had seen, all the stuff that Jesus told them, all the miracles and signs and wonders that they had seen, and it's almost as if nothing ever happened. They're just like, okay, what do you want to do? I want to go out fishing. All right, that's it. It would be like me saying, you know, after I was, you know, saved because the Lord, you know, told me, you know, I felt like the Lord, you know, uh, told me what he would have me to do. It would be like me going, okay, I'm going to go back to college and become an architect. Because that's what I was going to go, that's what I was going to school for before I got saved. You know, just be like, okay, I'm going to go do this. I know that you told me to go do something else, but I'm going to go do whatever I want. Because this is, this is what it is. You know, it's like they missed everything possible. But then it goes on in, in verse 6, it's the uh, required advice. Let's see, uh, in verse 6 it says, And he said unto them, Cast the nets, cast the net on the right side of the ship, and he shall find. They cast therefore, and now they, had, uh, they were not able to draw it, uh, draw it from the multitude of fishes. Like I said, this is the same exact thing that we see in, uh, in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 and 20, uh, through 20 says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. Well, isn't Peter a part of this conversation? Casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. The funny thing is, is that how he, like I said, how he began it is how he's going to end it. His earthly ministry. Verse 7, there's a response of action. Therefore that, uh, therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Peter, uh, Simon and Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded uh, his fisher's uh, coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. Now first I want you to know, when it says, For he was naked, he was not stark naked. 
He wasn't jumping into the water in his birthday suit. All right? Because what it, meant, uh, what it means, you know, to be naked, according to the Bible, we can actually see, you know, what it is. In uh, Exodus chapter 28, verse 42, it says, And thou shalt make them linen breeches to cover their nakedness from their loins unto their thighs they, uh, they shall reach. So that's what it, uh, you know, what it meant. It's basically that he had his undergarments on. So he jumped in like he's basically in an underwear and T-shirt and just jumps into the water. And so the thing is, is that what we need to see is first is the response that John gives. We need to have the same response that John gave. Is our love for the Lord needs to see the Lord over our, over our activities. We need to see the Lord over what we're doing. We can get so busy with, you know, housework, working at, you know, doing our stuff at work, but we need to realize that we need to see the Lord in everything that we do over our activities. Because it's very easy to focus on what we're doing in the here and now and forget about that the Lord is the one that we're living our life for, not for our bosses, not for our spouses, not for anything else. We're living for the Lord. So when you're cleaning, if it helps you to sing, I, you know, I, I, I have a song usually in my head and I may hum when I go. You don't really want to hear me you know, sing. You might think there's a cat that got into a trap or something like that if you walked in and heard me. But what we need to do is realize that in the midst of everything, to keep the Lord in mind of what we're doing. Because we're working for the Lord, we're not working for anybody else. And it kind of helps us also to do a better job, doesn't it? I'm not saying that it, you know, anybody in this room is lazy, but it helps us to do a better job when we realize that what we're doing is for the Lord. When we're teaching our kids, we realize, hey, I'm going to train up my child in the way that they should go, that way that later on that they, don't turn, uh, they don't depart from it. It makes it a little bit uh, easier, doesn't it? Instead of going, sit down and be quiet. Sometimes you still have to do that, but still. But you realize that it's for the Lord. Or when you're working at your job and your, bo jo uh, your boss is being, maybe, you know, being harsh on you or you think, man, my boss is a jerk, realize that you're not working for him anyways or her. You're working for the Lord. And it makes you do your job all the better. And we need to act as Peter and act immediately when we realize that it's Jesus. That when God is in something that we need to, to realize and and just go headlong into it. Now, we know that Peter is very, very impulsive. We know that he is. Peter suffers from what I like to call foot and mouth disease. He likes to speak before he thinks. I know that I suffer from this as well because there's many times that I have said something and I'm like, hmm, can I take, no, you can't take it back. You just, you can't. And Peter he suffers from this. He's, he's very impulsive, and the thing is, is he doesn't really think about it, but it's a, it can be, obviously, a, a very bad thing, and we think that in, impulse is a, a very bad thing, like impulse shopping. Oh, i got to have this because I don't have this right now. And then, like, a month later, you go, why did I buy this for? Or, you know, I mean, I see that, you know, with my daughter, but I see it in myself. I, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff I'm going, why did I even, what was, yeah, I don't even know why I bought this. But impulse can be a good thing. It also could be a good thing. It's good because of the fact that there's no time for us to reason it away. That when God asks us to do something and we're impulsive, we say, okay, I'm just going to go ahead and do it. We don't have time to go, well, will so-and-so think I'm a little weird if I do this? 
what will they say? Or is this really the Lord? Or is it that bean burrito I had earlier? I mean, it's like kind of those things that, you know, if we're impulsive in the fact of saying, I know this is the Lord, and we go ahead and do it, the thing is, is that we're going to be blessed because we're doing it, because we know that obedience brings about blessing. And that if we do what God asks us to do, asks us to do when he says to do it, we're going to be blessed because of it. Now, you know, obviously nowadays we have some of the prosperity false you know, preachers out there that will say that you're only blessed financially. And they're the same ones that will say, you know, if you want to be blessed, send me a, a love offering and all sorts of stuff. So you can, I mean, there's, there's a little side note. There's a guy out there that honestly says, you know, that I'll send you the miracle water. But you have to send me an offering and I'll pray that it's activated. I just want to know what you're like, what's going to activate and do? I mean, I it just... I don't know, anytime that I've activated, like, my cell phone, my cell phone starts making phone calls. I mean, but he says that you're supposed to be able to, you know, like, he's going to pray. And what, or he also has not just water, but he also has uh, handkerchiefs, too. You'll get the handkerchief, but you have to, you know, give him a donation so that way he can activate it. I don't believe the Lord works that way. I know that he doesn't work that way. And that's why I don't watch TV preachers. So I'm just you know, going to tell you I don't wa- you know I don't watch TV preachers because uh, I say probably about 99% of them that are out there are like false teachers. Either trying to get something out of people. That's a side note. There's also a re- uh, repeated admonition in verses 15 through 19. It says this. The Bible says. So when they had dined, uh, Jesus saith unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Joseph, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, though know, uh, knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. Verse 16. He saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Joseph, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Joseph, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he had said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, Thou girdest thyself and walkest uh, whither uh, thou wouldest. But when, uh, when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou uh, wouldest not. This spake he, uh, signifying by what death he should, be, uh, he should glorify God. And when he had spoken these things, he saith unto him, Follow me. This is a repeated admonition he obviously peter i mean jesus keeps asking him he says simon son of joseph thou lovest me and the first two times obviously twice he says um he says you know he says that exact thing to peter the third time jesus asks them that same question peter responds differently instead of just saying you know that i love you this time he says lord thou know uh, thou knowest all things Thou knowest that I love thee. It's as if 
Peter questions what he knows in his heart. Because the Lord asked them twice, and he gave the same answer, but the third time he's going, there must be something to this. Maybe I'm missing something. Maybe there's something not right in my heart. Maybe I haven't searched my heart. Maybe there's something wrong. And he comes back and he just says, Lord, you, you know all things. You know what's in my heart. You know that I love you. And notice the response of the Lord every time that Peter tells him that he loves him. He says, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Well, why does he switch it? Why does he say, feed my lambs, then switch it to feed my sheep? Well, isn't, just a, isn't a lamb just a young sheep? He wants, he's, he's giving Peter what he's going to do, that he's going to pastor people, that he's going to be, you know, leading people to Christ, that he's going to help them to grow and be discipled, and that he's going to help them, you know, equip the saints. That's what he's telling him to do. He said, feed my, feed my lambs. Why? I think it's first and foremost because the lambs are usually the ones that don't, obviously don't know anything, and they need to grow in the admonition. And then twice, he says, feed my sheep. I think the reason why is because he knows that some sheep can be honoring. This is my personal opinion, but he says it twice. I mean, there are times, I mean, you can go to a church and you find that, you know, you find out a few that, you know, maybe the pastor, you know, will try to teach them or the deacons will try and teach them and they'll say, oh, I already know that. Let me tell you something. And they, it's not the fact that they're, that they don't want to hear, it's just they have that partial spirit that says, I don't want to be teachable. I already know this. But I don't know about you, but every time I read God's word, something else illuminates to me. And that we're, we're supposed to strengthen and encourage one another, right? That maybe what I heard, somebody else needs to hear because they're like, I've never seen it that way. He's, like I said, he's equipping Peter. And the thing is, is that as Peter may be questioning what's in his heart, the Lord is not questioning what's in his heart. He's equipping him to be what, and calling him to what he's supposed to be. He knows what God has for him. Verses 18 and 19. When we look at that, it says, Jesus, like I said, Jesus even tells him what his future holds. Not even just the fact of what he's calling him to be, but how he will die and what's going to happen in his future. That his death is going to glorify God in his death as well. Now, I want you to realize in this that there's some people that will teach that this entire conversation that he's having is about Peter's salvation. It has nothing to do with his salvation. Never does the Lord question his salvation. He's questioning, uh, you know, the, the Lord's asking him, making sure that he understands what he's calling him to do. Your salvation does not depend on you. It depends on the Lord. And what do you need to, some people need to hear that and realize that, that your salvation does not depend on you. It depends on the Lord. That should take a big weight off your shoulder. That your salvation is about the fact that it's not about you and about you keeping that relationship. It's about the Lord holding you and keeping you in the shadow of his wings. He says that I, will, you know, that I love you enough that no one is ever going to be able to pluck me or pluck you out of my hand. No one's ever going to be able to do that. If you're, if you're a sheep and you hear my voice, he says, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to keep you. 
That right there should just bring some joy to somebody. I mean, this last week, I, you know, I was going through it, and, and I was telling my wife a little bit about, you know, what I was going to talk about and, and uh, those things, and she says, you know, and you know sometimes, you know, if your spouse says something to you, you can kind of cop an attitude. I mean, I, I mean I'm, I'm speaking from my own experience, not from yours. And she just, you know, I was telling her, and she says, that's good, but are you going to speak it with joy? Because that should be with joy. She says, I just noticed, she said, I'm not trying to, you know, uh, criticize you. She says, but I just noticed a lot, you know, last, you know, the past, you know, few weeks and stuff like that. She says, it doesn't really seem joyful when you're telling about things. She says, I know that in your heart that there's a joy, she says, but when you're conveying it, there's not necessarily really a, a joy. Now, if you, some hear that and going, how dare you? And I just sat there and, you know, at first I kind of had that, you know, thing, but I kept my mouth shut. But then I began to pray and I said, Lord, it's true. It's true. And so I apologize if the last past couple of weeks have sounded like I've been like, just you do this and there's like no joy. Because when you follow the Lord, there should be joy. When you follow the Lord and the Lord asks you to give up something, there should be joy. And so I'm sorry that, you know, if there's, you know, I don't know if it's been the past four years that it sounded that way, that there's been no joy, but there should be joy in following the Lord. Amen? And so when we, when we realize that, and, we, and you would think that in the midst of this, that he's not only you know, telling him what he's going to do you know, for the kingdom, how he's going to lead people to the Lord, he said, this is how you're going to die, and you're going to glorify me in it. Now, most people will say, well, um, so I'm going to die, huh? And what he's telling them, he's like, he said, he said, you used to be able to dress yourself. But when you're getting ready to die, you're not going to be able to dress. Somebody else is going to do it for you. Why? Because your hands are going to be bound, and they're going to lead you to your final destination. That basically, you're going to be a prisoner for Christ, and you're just going to go. Now, if you don't know the you know, history of, of how Peter dies, Peter is crucified. And because he doesn't want to be crucified in the same manner as his Savior, they crucify him upside down. And so Peter, you know, has such a love for the Lord and following the Lord that he says, I don't, I'm not worthy to even be crucified the same way as my Savior. I'm not worthy to die the same way. And they flip him upside down. Or you have William Tyndale. He was burned at the stake. Can you, th I mean, I can't even imagine that. Like sometimes it comes back to my brain when I'm out there grilling. I got a steak on the grill, not, you know, the other steak, but. And I sit there and think, how horrible of a death that does that have to be that you can, and I'm not trying to be graphic, but can smell your own flesh burning and knowing. But the thing is, is that his, William Tyndale's prayer is, Lord, open the eyes of the king. That's his last words. It's not, oh, woe is me. He wants the, the king's eyes to open so everybody can hear the gospel that he's just been translating. So everybody can read it. It is not just you know for for you know for you know, you know the uh, you know clergy, and it's not just for pastors and deacons. It's not just for priests. It's not. It's for everyone. And he says, "I want the king's eyes to be opened. I want it. That's my final thing that I want to do. That's my, that's my final prayer. Is Lord that my life's work, that it would go and that it could reach people. That the gospel is able to hurt. Isn't this the same?" kind of purpose that John has in his gospel, that they may believe. 
Because William Tyndale knows, John knows, Peter knows that with the word of God, there is power. Power to save and transform somebody. And that when we deliver the gospel, that's the, you know, the thing is, I think so much time, you know, just as much as our salvation is not dependent upon us, but upon the Lord, when you preach the gospel, it's not upon you to get them saved. The word of God has power to change that person and convert them. So you don't have, you just preach the word of God in love and truth, as the Bible says. And the thing is, you'll have people hate you, but you'll have people get saved also because of you. You never change the gospel message just because somebody is mad at you. Just like you would never change your discipline for your child that hasn't been listening to you. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, I was wrong. I mean, yeah, there are times parents obviously should, parents, you know, need to apologize because, you know, obviously as parents we're not, oh, you know, we don't, we mess up sometimes. But when we, we know we don't back down from, you know, what it says because we know that we, uh, we're doing what's best. How much more so, you know, in God's word, that when we have God's word and we're telling them about Jesus, don't back away from it and all of a sudden just go, don't want to offend you there. Because the thing is, you're sharing God's word, it's going to offend. We know this. And finally, there's a return announced. Let's look at uh, verse, uh, verse 20. It says, then Peter, running, turn about, see the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at, uh, at supper, at, he's referring to the last supper, and said, Lord, which is he? So he said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? And so I want to make this, uh, first and foremost, that scripture doesn't explicitly say that the disciple whom Jesus loved, you know, that's, you know, throughout the Gospel of John, that it is John, but it is believed by nearly every single early church father. It's nearly unanimous that it is John that is, that is writing this. And it kind of makes sense because John mentions every single disciple you know, the, of the twelve except for himself. And so I just want you, you know, to realize of, you know, who he's speaking of. And maybe it's the thing like he's like, I don't want to talk about myself, so I'm just going to refer to it this way. And he knew it because... Um, Jesus, you know, had referred to him, you know, in, in that way. How would you like to be, like, just to know that you're, like, besties with the Lord? And that, that's how God thinks of you in that same way. It's not the fact that you just go around and be like, yeah, well, me and Jesus, you know, we're just, like, tight. I mentioned before I have this one coaster at home that says, God loves you, but I'm his favorite. And that's almost kind of like in this circumstance of how it actually is, is that it's like, yeah, 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 Jesus does love you, but, you know, I'm his favorite, all right? Just wanted to let you know that. But in verse 21, what he goes on to say is, it says, says Peter, seeing him, saith, uh, Peter seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Now realize, Peter just, I mean, Jesus just went through this whole process of talking to him and, and kind of restoring him and realizing, restoring that vision, that dream that Peter had of, of leading his church. Because remember, he says, Lord, you know what? Remember how he opened up his big mouth before? He said, you know, for one thing, he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he says, blessed are you, for, you know, this was not revealed by men, but it was revealed by the Spirit. Then the Lord tells him about how he's going to die. And Peter says, no, Lord, that's not how it's going to happen. And then Jesus comes back and says, get thee behind me, Satan. 
Now, how, I mean, you just have these conversations. You, you think of these conversations with Peter and Jesus, and you're going, how does this, I mean, if I go up, to, you know, like, I'm, I'm thinking my, clo- you know, my closest friend, which is my wife, if I go out to her, and she starts telling me, you know, I start telling her about my life, and start telling her about the Lord spoke, and I say, get thee behind me, Satan. I think I'm not going to even be on the couch. I think I'm, she's going to tell me to go sleep behind the car on the ground, and she say, hold on, don't worry about the exhaust being turned on. But yet, he has that relationship with him, you know, that he's able to sit there and, you know, and tell him. And then later on, what does he say? He says, Lord, he says, I'm going to be willing to die for you. And he says, before, the, you know, the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me. He has these conversations with him. And then in the last one he's having with him, he says, you know what? He says, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. And, it does, and then Peter He's basically all restored. Jesus, you know, uh, you know, kind of leads him through it. And then what does Peter do? Well, what about him? What's, what are you going to do with him? I know you told me that I'm going to die for your glory, but what about him? What are you going to do with him? But isn't this often how we act? The Lord does a miracle in somebody's life. The Lord heals somebody, and we say, Lord, but what about me? Or Hey, Lord, I know you told me all these things, but what, I want to know what you told them. Or how many times maybe have we prayed? I, and these are situations that I've thought in my brain. That, you know, like, I remember there was a time where I actually wanted to know what God said because I, I, because I thought maybe God was bad-mouthing me. Or like, Lord, I don't want you to tell them what, you know, what I'm doing in my life because I don't really like what's going on in my life. So can you please let me know what you told them so that way I know how to kind of react to it and kind of use like a little bit of justification. I just want to know how they'll react to it. That way I can kind of help them out. And Jesus responds in verse 22 like this. Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come... What is, it, what is it, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. This is what he's saying. He says, if I will that John makes it to my second coming, what does that have to do with you? You follow me. And that's what we need to realize is that we don't need to be in everybody else's business as far as you know, what the Lord tells us. If somebody tells us what God has been doing in their life, great. But we don't need to be up in everybody's business. The Lord says, you follow me. Not, you know, hey, you follow me and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll give you all the dirty laundry on so-and-so over here. But he, he comes out and he just says, you follow me. And I know how, it's, you know, how you know, uh, things go about because as soon as sometimes we, we hear from somebody that's telling us from somebody, that's telling us from somebody, we share it in a prayer request. Or we say, you know, we'll come up and say, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? And we'll tell them all their dirty laundry about what we heard, and it may not even be true. But we'll tell all their dirty laundry, and then we'll, we'll put a little bookend on the end of it and go, we should pray for them. Sometimes, you know, it's okay when somebody says, pray for me, and you say, I will, and you pray for them. That you don't have to know everything going on in a person's life. That you could just say, you know, I'll pray for you. And you know what? You could go to the, you know, you know who knows? Jesus. 
So when you pray for them, you say, Lord, I don't know the situation that they're going through. I don't know what's going on in their life, but I want to pray for them. I want you to, and then you go right there. You don't have to know everything. And you know what? And if you do, maybe go up to that person and talk to them, right? But in this entire thing, I find it funny that Peter has been restored. He knows how he's going to die. He knows all these things. And then he's like, well, what about them? And Jesus just comes back and says, you know what? If I will that they, that, that person makes it to my second coming, what's that to you? You need to follow me. And that's also what we need to realize is that we cannot live off of somebody else's faith. If you're married, you can't live off your spouse's faith. If you're married and you have kids or nieces, nephews, whatever, your kids, your nieces and nephews cannot live off of your faith. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like, you know, I remember when Lily started walking. And, you know, I'm assuming, that, you know, those that have, you know, have seen kids in general, it's like this. You know that you can help them after, you know, a little bit, you know, you try and help them and help them. But then after a while, what is it? Is that you start, you know, like maybe mom's on the other side and dad's on the other side. And you say, he's like, all right, go to dad. And they're coming, they're like, you know, and they're coming and, you know, they may fall a couple of times. But the thing is, is that what it is, is the fact is, is, is that what, it, you know, when you're saying come to me, it's the same thing as Jesus saying, follow me. You need to come follow me. So it's time that I'm, you know, that I'm going to stop holding your hands. And the whole thing is, is that you need to come follow me. Keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. You may stumble, you may fall, but the thing is, he's like, I'm going to help you back up. Keep coming, keep coming. And the whole thing is, is that he's telling you, he says, keep following me. I don't care what is going on over here. I don't care what's going on over there. Keep your focus on me and follow me. Remember, Peter's also the same one that got out of the boat and walked on water. He walked on water. People oftentimes miss that part, is that, yes, he walked on water. They, they want to focus on the fact that he fell in the water and that Jesus had to like, bring him out of the water. But he walked on water until do, he did what? Until he realized all the things going on around him. And we need to stop like, watching all the, the news channels and all these different things and all these distractions that we have. And Jesus is just saying, come follow me, come follow me, come follow me, come follow me. And that's what he wants us to do. He says, keep your eyes, keep your focus upon me. That's what he wants us to do. When we go to his word, he says, keep following me, keep following me. I'm going to tell you how to live your life, but keep following me. Keep, keep going. And the thing is, is that we can't sit there and say, I'm going to skip today. That would be like me like saying, wife, you know what, I really don't want to talk to you today. I'll catch you next week. Am I going to really get to know her? No. But the thing is, is that I need to, you know, keep talking with her. Keep reading, keep reading her and finding out what makes her happy, what makes her sad, what makes her mad, what makes her angry, what brings her joy, what brings her not. And the thing is, is that and as we do that, Jesus says, keep following me. These are his last words to Peter. The last words to Peter is, follow me. You follow me. Don't worry about whatever anybody else has to say. You follow me. Don't, it doesn't matter what Fox News says or CNN says or all these different places. You follow me. It doesn't matter what your bosses say or else. You follow me. And what we need to realize that in this entire situation, as, as we're following the Lord, there's going to be other people that are going to come alongside of us and realize that you're a good influence. There's too many people out there that are way too toxic. All they want to do is bring you down or all they want to do is talk about somebody else. Yes, if there's something not right in your life, that needs to be exposed. It does. 
That's how you encourage sometimes some people and realize, say, you know, I noticed that this has been going on. I mean, you don't do it, you, know, you don't do it in a way of, like, you know, of coming to somebody and saying, I saw that you're a wicked sinner, and the thing is that you, what you need to do, but what you need to say is, you know, I noticed that this is going on in your life, and I want to, you know, I want to encourage you in that. Because oftentimes, maybe the people that God brings in your life, oftentimes are going either through the same thing that you did, and you can encourage them, or they went through something, and they can encourage you. There's too many lone wolves in the church. Too many times people think that they can come on Sunday and Wednesday night, get their fill, and not talk to anybody else at church, not be, uh, you know, not be edified, not be encouraged, not be strengthened by anybody, and think that they're going to be good. But yet the rest of the week they're going, my, my life is terrible. Well, who have you called? Who have you talked to to encourage you, to pray for you, to be with you? I love going to you know, people's houses you know, and, and sitting around with them. But to be honest, it takes me a while to get around to everybody. I'm only one person, but the thing is, is that everybody in here should be encouraging one another, right? So what we need to do is uh, we need to encourage and strengthen one another, praying for them instead of, instead of trying to find out what's going on in their life through being nosy and gossiping. Because if you really want to know and you're really good friends and you have that conversation with them, they're going to come up to you and talk to you because you are a person that they can confide in, that they know that you're not going to gossip you know, about them about. And so what we need to you know, realize is that obviously these have to be really important words. These are his last words. They say often, you know, oftentimes the last words that somebody speaks to you are really, really important. It was to William Tyndale. And they are, you know, when Jesus speaks them, you know, to Peter and says, you follow me. That's what we need to be. We need to be uh, encouraged and strengthened and build up one another. Like I said, and that includes if we find, you know, if we see there's something that somebody's doing, calling them out on it in, in love, truth, and grace. And saying, you know what, I've seen this is going on in your life. Do you want to talk about it? And if they say no, they say you, then all you got to do is come back and say, you know what, I'll be praying for you. And they may not talk to you for a little bit, but the thing is, is that your response will show them that you care about them and that you want to see them grow. You want to see them encouraged. You want to see them strengthened in the Lord and built up. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I, I thank you for your word, the last words that were shared with Peter that we all need to realize and do what you said to Peter, which is that we need to follow you, not live off somebody else's faith, not look, you know, not live off somebody else's faith, not to just say, hey, I go to church every so often, or I do this or that, or not to even you know, be the fact of being nosy or, or gossiping. But what we need to do is to strengthen one another. We need to follow you so that others will follow Christ, and we can strengthen and encourage them and lift them up in prayer. Because in this life, in this world, there are so many things going on and so many things vying for our attention to take our focus off of you and distract us. But Lord, as a father with a newborn baby, as they see them grow and eventually they begin to walk, help us to realize that eventually you just tell us to follow you and that you're going to encourage us that when we stumble, 
that when we fall, that you're going to be right there to pick us back up again and tell us to keep on following you. Lord, help us to keep our gaze upon you and our focus. Lord, I pray that those that uh, through this entire, uh, going through the Gospel of John, I pray that there, is, that there was someone that had believed upon you because that's the original intention of John writing this Gospel is that people would believe and that they would be saved from God's wrath and from hell. So Lord, I thank you, Lord, and I, I ask for those that, that maybe even here and today that they want to receive you as Lord and Savior, that they want to believe upon you that they would go to a friend, that they go to me to, uh, to receive, uh, that they'd be able to lead them to you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Uh, we'll see you on uh, Wednesday at uh, 6.30. Like I said, if you're uh, interested in going to the Sweet Night, you can sign up. It's out there on the bulletin board as well. And then also, uh, don't forget to...